We go again. We go again, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Out of Your League. Um, we are, John, in Tribal, uh, in Hull, in Kingswood, just outside of, of Hull. Uh, I'm looking at just a crowd it's of... It's uh, in Hull. It's not outside of Hull. Is it in, in Hull? I in when Hull, I looked yeah. on the map, it was just outside of Hull. We're on an industrial estate, uh, basically, in a, in a bar. And uh, I'm looking out at maybe five, 6,000 people. Would you say? Seven. At least. Seven? Minimum. Minimum 10,000. 10, it's, like, it's like a Salford home game, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> <What>? Times five. <laughs> this, this, is what I times wish. five. <laughs> this is what it feels like to do Nebworth. Yeah. Isn't it? Yeah. Uh, You've anyway. got an ego like Liam Gallagher, yeah, well, yeah. so there we go. Anyway, good people of Hull, let's make some noise. Yeah. Yes. I can see a lot of red shirts. A lot of red shirts. Not, not too many. Can you hear us at the back? They're already throwing fruit at us, John. Turn it up. Turn it up. We'll just speak louder turn, for you. Turn it up, lads, like we're in control of the volume. <laughs> <laughs> so we're just going to turn a knob of beer and it's going to get louder for you. We'll just John, speak louder. John, John talking to, talk to the microphone, you should know from Sky. Oh, there you go. I can hear you at the back now. Yeah, there Is we that go. a bit better? Can you hear us at the back? Everyone hear us? Everyone hear us? Yeah. Go on, go, put, put your hands in the air. Any KR fans? Ooh, Hull fans? It's <laughs> literally one. There's one at the top. Look in the balcony. The royal, the royal in the box. royal box. There's a whole fan. Wow. And, jo and John's mum just behind with the sunglasses Shout on. Shout out to like Carol. Stevie Wonder. Carol, Carol Wilkins. Yeah, up is. in the box. Well, She's up like, in the room. Yeah, Steve. Stevie Wonder and one of the three blind mice. <laughs> there she is. <laughs> and just Phil, John's dad, Phil, big trucker hands, just sort of <laughs> waving, doing a royal wave. Uh, also, put your hands together, everybody, for the Hull FC legend, now assistant coach there, Mr. Gareth Ellis, everybody. Thank you very much. Thank you. How are you, guys? Hello, how are you doing? You're good, you well? I'm really well, thanks. Yeah, it's uh, just was talking there, weren't we? It's been a while since I last saw you. It's saw been you a while. It? it was Flash's wedding, Barcelona, mm -hmm. yeah. 2017. What a what a day it was! What a yeah. day it was! We'll get stuck into that a little no, bit. No, we later. need to get to that straight away. <laughs> straight I away. To, I need to pull Gaz up on something. Do you? So Gareth Ellis was at. We were at Flash's wedding. Gareth Ellis was. We at the bar. We're having a beer. It's like we're having a good chat about retirement. Gaz was just retired. He said, "Look, honestly, best thing I've ever done." <laughs> he said, do not think twice about it. You know, it, it's just just a relief. It feels great. Six months later, he's playing again. <laughs> he's, he's full of shit. That's all I'm saying. He lied to me. He lied to me at Flash's wedding. Didn't you, guys? It's true, yeah. I, I, I think at that time, though, I, I probably was. You know, you, like, it was probably a relief, you know, making that decision. But, um, yeah, it's... Things, things happened and opportunities arose and, yeah, I was still playing, you know. He came back, he was the best player in Super League again. <laughs> and, uh... What's it like for you to be back here, John? So I said we're in Kingswood. Yeah. Tell, tell me, because I've never been to Kingswood before. Should I, should I be scared? Should I be excited? You What's be... it like coming home? Do you feel a bit nostalgic? Yeah, you know, like, um, I think everybody has, if, like, an affinity to where they're from. Um, look, I've got to put a caveat in there. I live in Rye Hill, which is East Hall... You know, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a bit out of the way from here. So saying driving to this place now, did I feel like I'm coming home? Probably not. Will you know if I was, if I was driving into rural, sort of Rye Hill, the crooked uh, billet. Yeah, yeah. And there's some ducks running around. Everybody's related. Uh, you know, then the I get, then start to get really excited. <laughs> but no, yeah. Look, I think Hull's a great place, full of great characters. But I think one thing I found with with where you're from is people want to. Like, make it about where you're from all the time. Like, you love it. You love, 
No, you love telling me where I'm from and, and why I should be proud of where I'm from. My question to you, Will, is where are you from? No, no, it's not, this no. isn't about me. No, the point, well, the reason I do that is because I, I, I've got the feeling over the years that you weren't particularly welcome back here. I don't I mean, know. Do, do, don't do know. any of you KL fans remember Wilkin playing for you for two minutes? You do? Uh, well, they said not, that with quite sort of... Yeah. I, was quite si I was 16. I was 17. I, play, I, played, I, was, I played for Wilkin when I was 16. You know, and, and when I was 17, St. Helens, who were the champions, offered me a contract and I moved to St. Helens. Ooh. Like, But no, at that time, you just wouldn't even... Like, it's just... Wilkin <laughs> in the championship. St. Helens offered me a contract. And I always, I remember I got, I got sent off in a Challenge Cup game at Craven Park and, and a whole KR fan, you know, came to me outside the ground and was like, whoa, bet you're, and a whole KR won or, or there was some, I can't, there was an angle anywhere. And he said, I bet you were leaving. And I was, I just felt like we just won the treble in 2006. <laughs> well, you, you turned and your back on you know what I mean? I, I did regret, you know what I didn't, I wanted Hull KR to be incredibly successful when I played there. Unfortunately, the timing wasn't right, so I had to leave to be successful. Mm. And, you know, I, I love this part of the world, but I don't regret leaving at all. Well, look, this isn't all about you, it's about Gaz, but I want just yeah. to, to <laughs> cu cu couple bit more, because, look, from, from, what, 1983 to 2002, before you made your Hull KR debut, what happened in those years? Because you've told the 65 people that listen to Out of Your League over the years that you grew up on a pig farm. Shout out to Phil and Carol up on the balcony yeah. again. Um, so what, like, what was life like? It was on, great. On that farm. T tell us about, you know, childhood just outside Hull, which yeah. was for you. Well, I'll tell you what, I got, I, I wasn't looked after by my parents. Uh, that's a fact. They, they uh, I remember once, you know, because I lived a country life, like I used to climb trees and things. And I remember being stuck up a tree for like two hours, Will. And my dad was like, just blissfully sort of carried on with life underneath me in his pickup or something. And I got stuck up a tree for two hours. It's, it's neglect, Will. And they're here tonight as well. <laughs> so if anybody wants to, you know, if we get like a bit of a posse together and we'll ambush them on the way out, we can. We're, go no, we're going back to the farm later, uh, aren't we? No, we're life, staying there. Mark's like, staying there tonight. Like, like my childhood was the best childhood ever. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, okay, Gaz, we are going to get to you, don't worry. But as, as we always do when John's here, and I haven't seen you for a few weeks, I've seen you on the telly, but heard you on the radio. You've been on Question of Sport as well. You've been on everything. You're, you're, you're a prostitute. But um, what, what you have uh, got is a bit more correspondence. And, you know, I like to keep you up to date with what's happening on Twitter, and I know you came off Twitter. So just to sort of bring you up to date with... Um, is look, this so, why you came off Twitter? Because of this, maybe, this yeah. feedback. There's some constructive stuff on here as well. Um, look, so this is just over the last few weeks. Adam says, uh, John Wilkin loves the sound of his yap. You talk shite. What an arrogant tosspot. Um, <laughs> Shout out to Aaron. <laughs> oh, there's more. First, first, round, first round of applause. I wonder if we get a round of applause, everyone. Uh, this one from uh, Exiled Wesley, who just says, Wilkins a fucking clown. Um, <laughs> uh, Bushnut, FFS, which I think stands for, for fuck's sake, they've added BBC Sport and they say, why, 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 why have John Wilkin on? To top that, they've probably got Jonathan Davis on comms. <laughs> Did they? I think they did. Um, Aaron says, John Wilkin is clueless. Connor says, John Wilkin, please stop talking shite. Pete West says, Wilkin is a complete spoilt tosser who was ne <laughs> never good enough to play it for the, in the NRL, but thought that he was. Um, this is a nice one, actually, from Stephen Thomas. He says, what an absolute cockwomble John Wilkin is. <laughs> These are all real. Check him out for yourself. Josh Harper says, Wilkin is full of shit. Worst pundit on Sky. And they've got Phil Clark on the team as well. <laughs> 
Phil Clark actually got another mention in one that I saw. He says, uh, this is from Andy. Didn't think Phil Clark would be surpassed as the biggest dick in rugby league, but John Wilkin is pushing him close. <laughs> John, so not you, the biggest. John, uh, Will, you do know his mum's listening to this. Oh, Carol wrote most of them, I'm sure. Uh, and this one, just lastly, which is quite nice, it's quite fitting, actually. Freddie says, why does John Wilkin pretend he's never stepped foot in the city of Hull, the scruffy Long Hill fucker? <laughs> Interesting feedback, Will. Let me give you some feedback, right? Don't bite, just take it. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, I've, I've been thinking about a bit of a retort to you reading out what people think about me. And, yeah. and do you know what I thought? I thought I might tell you what I think about you. <laughs> do it later, come on, no one's interested in that. Uh, I'll tell you what, before we get started, Gaz, uh, Gaz Mark, you can join in this as well. Uh, a little Hull quiz for everyone, right? You can uh, score your own points as well. So who knows Hull the best? Bear in mind, we've got a Hellensian sat here, and we've got a few in front of us over here. Gaz, you're an honorary Hellensian. Mark, you don't know what a Hellensian is, but that's someone from Hull. Um, number one. The population of Kingston-upon-Hull, as of the latest data in 2022, to the nearest 50,000, the population of Kingston-upon-Hull, Gaz. I mean, he did live here, Gaz, for about a decade. 400,000, says Mark. Come on, quick fire, especially 400, quick fire. 420,000. <laughs> oh, gosh, 450,000. Uh, the answer is 323,550. Uh, the, the George Hotel, one of the oldest surviving pubs in the city of Hull, claims to have the smallest what in England? The smallest what? The George Hotel's got the smallest what? Window. Window. Someone over Window. there got it spot on. Um, this one, I know most people in the crowd will know this, but I know you don't know your football, Mark. So um, the, the Football League season's just finished. Hull City are in which division? Championship. Championship, says Mark. Championship. Ch you didn't look so sure, guys, there. Championship. Championship. Championship, you're all spot on there. Uh, a couple more. Hull was named the city with the highest proportion of what in 2002? Rugby league fans. Someone's on it back there as well. Snorers is the right answer. I wonder I just want to know how they got that information. Snorers. Snorers. How did they collect that information? <laughs> it <laughs> sounds like bullshit, doesn't it? We'll have a few more <laughs> tonight. Like, <laughs> Who snores? Hands up. There we go. We've got a study. They're watching Sky. <laughs> They're watching you on Sky. <laughs> and the BBC for Challenge Cup. Uh, and last one. Um, one, two, or three of the following things were invented in Hull, Gaz. Boiled sweets, LCD screens, and Lemsip. One, two, or all of them were invented in Hull. Wow. It's Lemsip. Lemsip, I got Lemsip. All of Lemsip. them. Lemsip, all, all, all of them. All of them, all of them. Come on, you're from Hull. Lemsip. Just Lemsip. All three of them. Oh, Boiled sweets, LCD screens, Do I win and Lemsip. That quiz? I don't know who won. I think the lady over there who said snoring. Right, come on, guys. Let's get stuck into you, my friend. Um, so, look, obviously, you're not from Hull. You were born in, in, in Castleford, yep. weren't you? Just outside Leeds, a Leeds boy, really. Um, You've you, you played for Hull FC from, from 2013. I really want to get stuck into what this city is like to play, to play rugby league in and, and the whole derby as well. I mean, you've talked about it loads because, John, I remember you saying over the years one of your biggest regrets in your career was not yeah. playing in a whole derby. So let's start right there. What's that like? Uh, um, really, um, incredible, really. I mean, not coming from Hull um, and obviously joining um, in 2013, I, I, one of the first things that people t talk to you about is you must win the whole derby. You know, that's, that's the be all and end all. You know, people talk about we don't care if we don't win another game as long as we win the whole, whole derby. And I probably just passed it off a little bit at the, at the start and didn't think much of it. You know, coming from um, you know, the last time previous that, that I'd played in Super League, I was winning a, a grand final in, uh, with Leeds. So that, you know, that's what I wanted to do, win grand finals and challenge cups. So uh, passed it off. But over time and reading, uh, listening to, you know, my teammates, mainly um, and just how important it meant to 
people like Scott Taylor, Danny Houghton, um, you know, the fact that they can't walk down around the supermarket you know, after a loss because they get so much abuse from, from both sets of fans. Um, and it meant so much to them. So I, I took on the sort of mantra that if it means that much to them, it has to mean that much to me. Um, and, and obviously over the years as well, um, you build up that, that rivalry in itself. Um, so and it, but it's, 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 it's great game to play in, unbelievable um, uh, experience and atmosphere. Um, and I know, that, you know there's a few derbies um, in Super League, but, and, and I, haven't, no, I, don't, I haven't played in all of them, but the, the, the all-car and all-FC one is, is something special, really something special. Uh, I mentioned uh, Castleford. Obviously, you used to follow them as a kid and you was a fan, home and away. So I always ask everyone who comes on this show, that sort of first moment that, that Rugby League grabbed you by the balls, what was that? Um, I think I, I grew up, you know, in a, in a rugby league family. You know, uh, my dad played for Doncaster, Sheffield, and York, so he never like, played in like the, the you know the top division. But um, him and my brother uh, and his brother, uh, Uncle Graham, he, he played for Hunslet and Doncaster. Um, played for Lock Lane, you know, all, all through the years. Um, so it's sort of I, I don't remember a day where I. Were, wasn't interested in rugby league or wasn't forced to be interested in rugby league at some level. Um, you know, it was the thing I asked for as a kid. You know, at Christmas was a you know a cash shirt and a rugby ball. Um, so yeah, I, I don't remember that a, a particular moment that it, it got me. I, th I think I've just grown up with it and you know, and them experiences. You know, one thing led to another. And you know, obviously went went and went and ended up playing it in the in the end when I was about eight years old. You, you got a chance, didn't you, at Wakefield? Which I know you look back on really fondly. Uh, with Wakefield, was yeah, Wakefield? Yeah, Wakefield. Yeah, yeah. And is it true you used to sleep in the, the kit storage room? <laughs> yeah. Because you were a boy, young boy at this stage, when you were, you made your debut at 18. But in 1999, you were there for a good, what, four or five years. And you couldn't get the bus back because it was too late or you yeah, were too yeah. young to get on the bus. Yeah. Well, when uh, it's like anything, isn't it? Like at the time, you know, I just. You, it's not until you get a bit older that you appreciate just how much your parents do for you, particularly my dad, you know, from, from being a, a young lad, you know, playing rugby. Um, my dad was a minor, so we moved out to, from Castleford to Selby um, when I was, I'd only been four years old. Um, and a, a group of minors sort of from Cass and from Leeds set up a, a rugby team. So that's where I first started. Uh, but we didn't, la didn't last long, you know, Selby's not really a rugby league area, so it didn't last long, struggle for numbers. And then I moved to, to Arthacres Trinity in Castleford. Um, and, and I remember my dad sort of, by this time my dad was a crane driver, so he'd come home, you know, covered in grease and shit, and, um, you know, just picked me up straight from training, travel sort of 30, 30, 35 minutes, you know, to, to training, and do that twice a week, you know, and probably wouldn't have any tea, and he'd get up and do it all, do it all again the next day. And like I said, he, at the time, you just, you just take it all for granted, but it's, when you're a bit older and you've got your own kids, you just appreciate just how much, you know, of an effort that, that was, um, and that didn't stop, you know, up until you know, when I signed for Wakefield, um, I didn't drive at the time, so he used to get up, I used to get up with my dad about, you know, half five in the morning, he'd drive me to Castleford bus station, he'd then go back to Selby and go to work, I'd get the bus from Castle station to, to Wakefield, um, and then on the way back, I'd... Um, I'd have to wait till, till we're done. We used to get loads of all the shit jobs at Wakefield, you know, like as apprentices, and we used to get have to clean the ground and do the boots and all the things, things that you uh, expect apprentices to do. 
I'd then get the bus back to Cass. I'd go to me uh, to my aunties. I'd wait at my aunties until my dad had finished work. He'd come and pick me up, and and, and that was the cycle that we were in. But uh, no, no I, I, it's one of those things now. I think back and just how proud of my dad I am, you know, for, for, for doing that, you know, and I think it's really, you know, something that, you know, when, when I moan about taking my lads, you know, 10 minutes down the road, you know, when, he, when I come home from training, that he's got to have a bit of a reality check. Um, but then, yeah, so up back to the, the, the porter cabin, so it was actually a, a lad from Hull, Steve Snitch, he was travelling over from Hull every day, um, and was probably costing him more in petrol money than he was getting paid as an apprentice at Wakefield, so he was a a cheeky, uh, cheeky little shit, and he, um, he just went to this, the, the chief exec, she was Diane Rogerson at the time, and he just said, oh, can I, uh, any chance, you know, anyone using these porter cabins up here? And she goes, well, we do on match days, um, but other than that, no, not really. And she go, he said, oh, can, can, we, can me and Gaz, like, stay? We, you know, we're travelling every day, can we, can we stay in these porter cabins? She went, you, if you can sort them out, you, they're yours to stay in. Uh, so we bought ourselves a microwave, went to somewhere, got a, got a, um, a couple of beds, some curtains for the, uh, for the windows. Um, they're still there now, yeah, all of it. The microwave, if you go in box seven, there's a microwave, yeah. <laughs> two pairs of old underpants and a curtain. Yeah. Decked it all out and it was absolutely brilliant. Um, and we, it won't, we were on a night out, we had loads of, uh, it was one of those, things where everyone said, can we stay at yours? And we had to get for training the next day. You only had to wake up 10 minutes before training. You were down, down into the ground. So, Brought yeah. a few girls back. <laughs> Not me, but uh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so just really, really good. Didn't, didn't do it for long. I passed my driving test about nine months, nine months later. And yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so did nine, nine months yeah, in a port cabin. Nine months in a port cabin. Nine months in a port cabin. Wow, yeah. that's a pregnancy. Yeah. It's a whole pregnancy. <laughs> yeah. um, look, you, and this was around the time when you would have first laid eyes on, on Gaz on the pitch, wasn't it? I mean, you started, what, 99 was your debut, to early noughties was yours. What were your first memories of Ellis? I think the first time I heard Gaz's name mentioned was, um, what was the first year that you got picked in the Great Britain squad, Gaz? 2003. 2003. So Paul Wellens, who's a good mate of mine, came back and he sat in the middle of our training room. And, and Saints were doing really well at the time. And he said, we need to sign Gaz Ellis to everyone, to all the players, to the coaches. He's like, we've got to go sign this guy. And, and, and for us, we'd sort of seen a bit of Gaz and he was doing well. He was playing a few positions at Wakefield. And, you know, looking back, really, what you know, a huge moment that could have been for, for St. Helens to go out and sign Gazellis. Yeah. But that was the first time, I think, as a young player, I, th I don't think you really look around at what other players are doing at that time. Yeah. So I can't say, yeah. oh, I was massively aware of Gaz. But when one of our senior players came in and said, look, this guy is exceptional. Like, he's just come into the Great Britain squad and can do anything. And I was like, wow, like, that, that's Actually, I, I had a meeting with Kel Kozlet. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you did. Right, just, yeah, just after that time, I, and uh, it's one of those uh, things because obviously every, every, you think you're doing it all in secret and that, and um, it wasn't until probably a couple of years ago, Robert Elson, who was at Castleford at the time, or doing something at Castleford, only a couple of years ago, I came over and said, oh, remember when you had that meeting with Kel Cosley? <laughs> we, were just sat, we were just sat down a few tables down from you. And, and uh, so, like, oh, yeah, that secret meeting, it wasn't <laughs> yeah. a secret. But, yeah, it, it just wasn't the right, you know, the things about timing, aren't yeah, they? And, yeah, um, yeah. you know, and I think for me, you know, being at Wakefield, I don't think I would have got the opportunities that I did anywhere else at that time. You know what I mean? Obviously, yeah, yeah. particularly from 99 to sort of 2002, um, 
Wakefield was the best club for me, and that's why I've, I'll always be grateful for that opportunity that they gave me. Uh, they gave me, and um, it, and it was a good time as well. We had, a, we had a good time while we were there. It was a tough time for, for, for the majority of it, in that you know our highlights were you know while, while John was winning grand finals, we were trying to win on the last day of the season to, to stay in Super League against, uh, against Cass. Against Cass, I remember yeah, that. once against Cass and once against Salford. Um, I think, do you think people are in a rush to get to a position or a club when they're not quite ready? And, and also, academies at these big clubs get a lot of young players through and probably put a lot, lot of kids in a position where they're not quite ready to be involved. Like, you had the benefit of time, didn't yeah. you? Like yeah, that's, that's that, huge, that, That's right. I, I mean, I signed for Wakefield at 18. Um, and, but, but prior to that... You know, I, I, so I, I played for Yorkshire like under nines, under twelves, and, and then I didn't play for you know representative rugby up, all the way up until sort of under 18s. Um, so I, and all the other players in that Castleford area had signed for either Cass or Bradford or Leeds. You know, the, the you know the, the good players that were were playing at that time, and, and I was all right, but I wasn't ever at that level, um, which sort of served me in good stead, I think, because it gave me a little bit more time to play amateur rugby, which you know. It, which was good, and I enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing with my mates um, until I got to a point where Wakefield had just been promoted to Super League uh, in '99. That was their first year in Super League, and they sort of had to bring an academy team together. If you remember, academy rugby was all on Sky yeah. TV and yeah, everything yeah, back yeah, then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and you played basically whoever the first team was playing. So, Wakefield had to sort of scramble a team together. I had a freakishly good game against uh, Lancashire, playing for Yorkshire under-18s. Uh, Andy Kelly was there, who was the Wakefield um, uh, coach at the time. All the other, like I say, all the other players had been signed up, and so there was this kid, he's not signed up, we'll, we'll have him. It's basically, invited me down, and like the rest is history. Yeah. yeah. Well, I think there's a big comparison there between like education, actually as in university education versus somebody who does like an apprenticeship and is practically able to do a job. I think if you go out and actually do a job when you're young enough and you get to do it and you become competent at it, it probably serves you better or you're more valued in, a, in like an organization at times than somebody who comes straight out of academic qualifications and is looking to like get involved in a job. I think there's an interesting thing. I think rugby's such a practical skill. Like, the more you can do it, the younger you are, I think the better it is for you. Sometimes our young players don't play against men till far too late. And then we sort of realise, well, actually, they're probably not going to do it. And we've already sold them the dream yeah. by then. 100%, John. And I think, you know, like, I know, like, um, reserves rugby's been brought back this year. Um, and, and you know, there's been some a few lopsided results that are sort of getting people to question whether it's the right thing to do. But uh, that reserves rugby was a massive, massive part of 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 my progression. Uh, without it, if if if, they, if Wakefield had to make a decision on me at 18 after my last year in, in the academy, I'm not so sure that they would have gone definitely yes. That he's the, he's the guy, you know, he's the man for us. Um, but those extra two two years of playing reserves rugby against Men, like you say, you know, you, I remember playing against players like Simon Orton, you know, who played for Wigan, um, Lee Gilmore. You know, you're playing against pro fully established players that were either coming back from injury or just out of form and were trying to play themselves back into form. And it was a real good test. It was a real test. And you, and you found out where you were at and what you needed to do. And, and you know, and not signing at 15 or 14 like, like kids do now. 
when I got to went got to play um, academy rugby and reserves rugby, I was I just felt hungrier than a lot of the others because I hadn't had that privilege of being around a club for that long. Um, it was even you know it was it was even now or never for me. So I always felt like I was a little bit hungrier than than, than some of the other players around me. I, th I think when you start playing against men as a young man, your character comes out, doesn't it? So. You can be skillful, you can have all the talent in the world, but it doesn't matter unless you've got character. I think when you step up to that level of playing against men that are bigger than you or a bit more pressure on you, that's when it comes out. And I think sometimes you can invest a lot of time in young people. If, unless they've got the character and the ambition and the toughness to perform, it's, it's, it's a yeah, bit I, pointless, I think, isn't it? I think it? that's probably one of, one, was one of my strengths, was that I was able... You know, I'd never stood out, really, any age group. I was able to... I was able to make the you know, that step up. You know, I was able to play sort of consistently well in academy. I was able to play consistently well at reserves. And then when I went to you know play first team, I was I was able to sort of adapt and and and, yeah. and play well at that level as well. There'd be um, some shocking stats on that, I reckon. I don't, I don't know if anybody's ever done it, but the best performers when they're young, right? So the six players who are outstanding when they're young. The likelihood is one of them will make it, five of them will disappear, but those five won't disappear and end up playing. They, they'll disappear. Yeah, yeah. You just won't yeah. see them ever again. Yeah. And so almost recruiting from that next tier or the tier down, where they've actually got a motivation to be great. Like, you, you need a reason to be good at that level, don't you? Well, you and always go on about it, don't you? Grit, grit as, a, as, yeah, a, as, a, um, as like a, one of your personal qualities. That's the biggest thing as you grow up in, in terms of being a professional rugby player. Like I've, I've played with both of you and you probably two of the grittiest, most tenacious like competitors I've played with. And if you've got that, sometimes the other abilities don't matter as much. But Gaz speaks about his dad, you know, driving full of shit to drop him off. Like, I know I took the piss out You're of him. You're saying Ken's head. full of shit? No, <laughs> no, but he's full of grease. He's, he's done yeah. his job. Like, that, that comes from home. I'm telling you, I, I, you know, look at my parents and my dad did the same. Mum and dad did the same. Carol's asleep, by the way. I know, she's fallen asleep, but they did. Did the same for me, and not just did it, did it, and they didn't need to do it, do they? they don't yeah. need to do it, and that and that put. If you've got that inside you, right, that gives you something, and and I've always had something inside me, and it, it's gritty because I know I don't need to do what I'm doing, but I've just got this fire to want to do yeah. stuff, and it comes across differently. Like people will judge me as a player, but yeah. I don't give a shit about that. I couldn't <laughs> give a shit what people think, but I know I'll keep going. I'll just keep going. And that comes from your upbringing. But, but I think that's, that's one of the most important attributes for, any, for, for anybody, particularly rugby players, is that ability and that willingness to want to compete. Yeah. You know, want to win, really yeah. want to win. And, and winning's not just on the scoreboard, winning's on every time. You know, you know I, I spoke about when I was at West Tigers, you know, I made every contest personal between. So if someone ran at me, I thought they were having a crack at me. Yeah. You know, if you run at me, then we're having a, it's me v you, it's a duel between me and you. And I wanted to come out on top, I did, and I didn't every time, but I tried where, the next Where did time. that come from, Gaz? Where did that, was that, was that always there as a kid? Was that there in your teenage years, younger than Matt? Um, not, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think for me, um, I've always, I was always a fairly shy kid. And um, I think in, uh, almost a, a desire to fit in, you know, particularly like when, you, when you're a young lad and you play, you know, like it's a bit different now in the environments, you know, around first teams now, but when I sort of came through at Wakefield, you had players like Andy Fisher, you know, proper hard blokes and Gary Price, uh, Willie Poaching was there and, you know, proper men, you know, like, and um, 
I think I always had that desire to please, to, to please them, you know, to fit in, to, to be accepted by them. And part of that for me was was that grit, you know, being that gritty player that were prepared to do all the hard stuff, you know. If they, you know, uh, ran the ball, you know, 100 mile an hour, then I had to, I had to do exactly the same, you know. I, and, and I think I earned their respect. And I, and I honestly think that it was probably a lot of that stuff, not so much the, the skill stuff and the, you know, any tactical stuff for me, that probably got me my opportunity in the first place. You know, it's probably coaches seeing that side of me that said, yeah, he deserves a crack, you know, he deserves a crack. And like I said, I was able to, to take that kind of tenacity to, to first team level. The, the Leeds move was, was a massive move for you, wasn't it? 2005, you spent a good, good three years there. And we had, we had Willie Poaching on the other day. And obviously when you were there, that was the sort of, you know, the early days of that golden yeah. generation. And he won back-to-back -back grand finals against this guy. Yeah, you great. played in both of those, didn't you? That, that was the well. first two of five defeats on the spin for you, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, great. It was a great time. He nearly signed at Bradford, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Before yeah, Leeds. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's funny because I, I, I listened to JP on, on this podcast a uh, um, couple of weeks, couple ago, weeks yeah. ago. And um, I think he was saying about how he had signed, I think, for Leeds in the February or something yeah. like that. Well, I had a conversation with JP probably about May time. Um, and he was trying to tell me how good Bradford was. Because Bradford had come in for me. Um, but I, was still, I still had a year left at, at, at Wakefield. Um, and Wakefield wanted me to sign another three-year three -year deal. Or they'd offered me a three-year deal. Um, but like I said, you know, like, I think that, like John said, there's a time comes when you think to, to really move on and kick on and, and probably realise that the opportunities that I had, I had to, I had to leave Wakefield at some stage, whether it was that year or the year after. Um, I had to make that decision, so I was, I, I was looking to sign a new contract with Wakefield. I was quite happy to play the year, but I also understood that Wakefield probably could have got a few quid from me as well, you know, by selling me a, a year early. And Bradford were the first ones to, to sort of show an interest, and it seemed like that's the way I was going, you know, where I was, where I was going. JFP rung me and sort of were telling me how good Bradford was. But when I, when I, now I know that, now when I think back to that conversation, I sort of, I can, I, I can sort of read between the lines. He said some things that I think, he'd, he, you know, now I know, yeah, he'd already signed for, you know, signed for Leeds because he's sort of saying, I don't know what I want, I'm going to be doing yet, but it's a really good club and some really good people and that. Um, but it all fell through with, with Bradford. Um, I think they were trying to do a, a, a few, uh, a swap with um, a couple of players rather than pay, you know, paying the money. And um, when Shane McNally rang these two players, to sort of discuss coming to Wakefield. They didn't have a clue about it. <laughs> they, didn't have any, they didn't know what was going on or anything. So it was that's, that's rugby league though, isn't yeah. it? That's <laughs> yeah, just rugby yeah. league. <laughs> so yeah, I think uh, Brian Noble must not have uh, passed on the, uh, the information. <laughs> shock, shock. <laughs> and... Brian Noble just takes clubs to bankruptcy and then leaves. <laughs> He'll go through it. Bradford, he did it. Toronto, he did it. Celtic, Wigan yeah. nearly went bust under him. Celtic Anybody, Crusaders. Celtic Crusaders. Salford. Salford. Salford went bust. Even his amateur club went bust. He just takes things to the brink. Just driving <laughs> off in that a German <laughs> army bicycle helmet into the woods. So, yeah, so, so that, I, I said, oh, this, this, I don't want to be part of this. You know, the two lads, you know, they're pretty you know, good players at the time. Though, and uh, I just like, I don't, I, don't want to, I don't want to be part of inf you know, this, this kind of scenario I said I'll just stay at Wakefield and then I was prepared to do that and then I watched um, Leeds beat Wakefield about 60 points to nil on Boxing Day and I thought what am I doing here you know like I've, I've, I've got to leave and then 
Um, Leeds had shown some interest and sort of, you know, I was in my agent, went back to them and made things happen. I signed in January. Um, you, you had so many good years at, at Leeds then. So what about that move to, to Sydney, to West Tigers, where later you two became best friends, didn't you? You followed him over to yeah, Sydney as cute. Before me and John yeah. became West friend, best yeah. friends. I think well, three, three years on the spin there, you were player four. of the year, weren't you? I did you played years. the four years, though, yeah. yeah. Yeah, so... Was it an itch that you always wanted to scratch? Because you, you'd seen so many players go to Australia and not succeed. Was that just, again, this competition thing in you that well, I'll show them? Well, at the time, really, I, I hadn't, because the only player before, before me at the time was Adrian Morley, who'd gone in, you know, sort of... Of course, yeah. The, the early... Six years before yeah, yeah, you, yeah. the early 2000s. Uh, but, yeah, so I was a bit... Um, Unsure, but I'd spoken to Moz a lot. I'd, you know, I was, I'd, had an interest in the NRL as a kid. You know, I had, you know, um, aunties and uncles that had gone, you know, on the old Great Britain tours and stuff, and they brought me. I'd given some money to bring me a shirt back and all the big league magazines and all that. So I had an interest in it. Um, and in 2006, I had, um, I probably had one of my best years at Leeds, even though it wasn't probably our most successful year uh, as a team. Um, and it coincided with, I was played with Mark O'Neill, uh, second rower, played at, run the grand final um, with West Tigers in 05, came over to Leeds, only did a year, uh, but got, got, came, got quite close with, with him. Um, and he was on at me all the time saying, you've got to go to the NRL, you've got to go to the NRL. Um, and I didn't think much of it, but he'd obviously been on the phone to Tim Sheens, you know, over the course of that probably 12 months. Um, and then at the end of 2007, um, Tim Sheens nearly rang me nearly every day. So I was tr you know, not just to just talking. You know, this is where you might live. This is where we, you know. This is what we'll do. This is where we'll play. These are the types of players we've got. Sending me videos and stuff. Every, every day is intense, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a very stop. Tim Sheens stalked you. <laughs> He's oh, stalking yeah. Honest, Gareth Ellis. That man can talk about rugby. He loves rugby. Oh. In fact, I, I'd go as far as to say I've never had a conversation to him about anything other than rugby. Same. Possibly walking sticks from the antique shop. <laughs> what is that? Is that, is that his second vice? He loves antique shops, yeah. Does it know that? Rugby antiques. Yeah. He loves rugby antiques. <laughs> but yeah, so he, uh, yeah, and um, again, Leeds offered me a contract. I was 27 at the time, and Leeds offered me a four year deal, so it was pretty much time for Leeds, which I knew were going to be successful. I knew they were going to win. They had some of the best players in the world, you know, in Super League. They were going to win things. So it wouldn't have been any hardship to, to stay there. But I just felt that if I didn't go to the NRL then, I'd never go. And it might be something that I'd regret. Did, um, did you think at this time it was going to be, you know, a sabbatical, a year, two years max, or whatever? Because you, you see great players go over there, obviously well after you and your Batemans, et cetera, and you think they could have a decade there if they really wanted it. Yeah. And you eventually came back because of homesickness was one yeah, of the reasons I, as well, wasn't I, it? But well, did, I, I was 27 when I went. Um, I did... Uh, three, four years. So the first year, 2009, we didn't make the playoffs. Um, 10 and 11, that, they were our years. They, yeah, were, they were the years they, that I was there. The so I, you, you do the maths. Yeah. Um, they, were, they were the years that, if I look back on my career, not that I have any regrets about it, because you know, some, some things are out of control, but they're the most, dis most disappointing I've been about not winning the, the grand final in Australia, because I really felt that we had the team to do it there. Mm. Um, but we had a good time, didn't we? Like, it's just, oh, it, yeah. was just, it was just a really, really good experience. Not just, you know, obviously playing rugby there. That was, that was brilliant, you know, getting the opportunity to do that. Mm. But just the experience, the, you know, the lifestyle of, of, of living there and 
there's nothing that I could ever do, you know, here that would replicate that, you know, mm. regardless of winning things or not. You know, that, those four years, and I'm, I'm really grateful for, like, the experiences that Rugby League's given me. Mm. Um, and that particular one is something that stands out probably above the rest in terms of how different it was. You know? well, what's yeah. the first thing, Mark, that, that you realise the magnitude of... Of, of the difference of intensity in terms of the spotlight being on you there over there as an NRL player. I know you were a youngster when you went there, but you would have seen it with your teammates. Yeah, well, um, Gaz probably spoke, spoke then about Tim Sheen's ringing him every day for two weeks. Well, no one rang me. I, <laughs> my contract was absolutely peanuts, but I, I'd watched the NRL as a young kid and it's something I dreamed of. And a little story on Gaz. So um, when I signed for them, uh, I didn't know anybody in Australia. And, and Kevin Sinfield from Oldham is a friend of a friend. So I said, there's, there's, you, you used to play with Gareth Ellis. Would you mind giving me his email address? I want to email him just to see where to live. I don't know what I'm doing. So I sent him a few lines over email and he sent me the biggest uh, email back you can ever imagine, which for a young man like me who played 10, 10 11 Super League games for one of the best back rows in the world to give his time to kind of um, show me where to live, what they was doing, what was going on was a real testament to the man and uh, obviously think think very highly of him. So from then we, we created a, a great bond and um, it was funny, we were over there and obviously nobody knew me but a lot of people knew Gaz and Benji Marshall and all the other superstars we played with and when you, you go for coffees or for a meal out and you'd see um, how they were received in the local community was was similar to footballers over here, it was, it was really impressive. Um, and the, the team we had at the time, we, we could have won trophies um, but when I look back, I kind of, I kind of liken it to a couple of years ago. London Broncos had a lot of success, of um, considering the, the talent they had, the amount of money they spent. Because a lot of people moved down to London to live down there, so they, they created a real community within the team. And we had a lot of players who were out from outside of Sydney who used to go for, spend every minute of every day together, and that was a reason why we had a little bit of success and such great times on the field. Yeah. Like we had a real like, when I went to Australia, I felt like uh, a Super League player, uh, uh, an England player, Great Britain player, whatever, whatever, playing in the NRL. Within probably you know three or four months, six months down the line, I felt like a West Tigers player, and that was testament to to the lads that were there, the club. Uh, the club were absolutely fantastic uh, with me in, in, in terms of you know sorting my wife out, um, making sure that she was happy and. Um, you know that they couldn't have done any more for me, and in return, I suppose you know that 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 lifestyle of, of you know, like if we weren't if we weren't like training or playing, we were playing golf or we were you know we were playing cricket in Benji's um, garage. Garage. <laughs> you know, it just it was just a really good time in 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 my life. You know, and something you know a really a poignant sort of period that sticks out probably above. Above, above a lot of the other stuff. I, I love that, that, that email you sent back because that does say a lot about you and you've talked about this before of sort of being accepted by older senior players and yeah. you, you me I remember you telling me that first Saints training session was just like, you know, people are having you or, or they're not and, you know, yeah. in that first week it's so pivotal. So for someone like Gaz to, yeah. to do that and to welcome a, a youngster who, you know, he didn't need to do that, did he? I, I love that, the that's the leader and the captain. I love the Mark sent an email. Do you know what I mean? I quite like that. Well, Yo, I, was only given, I was only given his email he's, address. He's, he sent an email. Well, well, you know, back in the day, it wasn't. You couldn't email Paul Fletcher, could you? Do you know what I mean? Paul Fletcher got an email address now, 
I'm just going to email Mike Dixon and John Aston. Said nobody ever. Paul Fletcher at AOL.com. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, Saints, Saints, was, Saints was insane. Like, really unbelievable sort of senior professional superstars of the game. Paul Schoolthorpe, Kieran Cunningham, you know, Sean Long. Like, But when I look back at my time when I started at St. Helens, it was such a chaotic environment. So many good players that there was not a huge amount that tied it all together. It was chaos. Mm. And we, we existed in chaos for maybe four or five years and it was successful. But reflecting on it, you know, over time, it just wasn't tied together by this thing that we now call culture, which sounds weird. There was a shitload of good players. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Really good players. By the way, that, that Budweiser bottle, I was just thinking about it, Carol actually has it mounted uh, above the mantelpiece, which we'll see on the farm later. She, she is up there on that royal box. Um, look, here's one, because maybe Gaz can't answer this, but wh why do you think then Gaz did succeed in the NRL when, when so many players, you know, with as many qualities as, as Gaz didn't and haven't? Well, I, don't, I just don't think, I don't think there are as many players with Gaz's qualities have gone over there. It's quite simply. No. I just don't think there are. I think there's a handful of players who've got the qualities that Gaz Ellis has got have gone over there and succeeded. So is that over, some... is that over, over attitude? It was a world-class you know, world back row before he went, and then he just mm. cemented that you know, but just, legacy yeah, but like, when he went. But like when I, I listen to Benji on a pod, Benji's a podcast, and I listen to that every now and again, and he, he, he open admits that he'd never heard of me when I went to, uh, went to Australia. But speaking of first impressions, he, he says on the podcast that, he, uh, that I... <laughs> First training session, I ran over the top of him. I broke his rib cartilage. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so he knew I was, you know, in the first day. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? But I think he was filthy with that. <laughs> he said he never told anyone. He was looking soft about an Asian guy uh, running over the top of him. The pot. Um, yeah, yeah, but you know what I mean? I, it, 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 for me, it was just... It was a challenge, and a challenge that, like I said before, I was able to keep, you know, step up and, and adapt sort of to that, to that level. And, yeah. and that's where it was when I went... went I went to Australia. Yeah, and I think sometimes, you know, what we're guilty of in this country is we, we I know, like we celebrate the fact our players go to Australia. Mm. Sometimes for me, that's a bit crazy. It's like yeah. we're celebrating the fact that Super League is a little bit weaker from our best players going to another competition. So, you know, we, we almost like glamorise it, which I'm not saying is wrong <laughs> that we... It's oh, not, someone just threw a pint at John. Yeah, fine. It's not saying that it's wrong. What I'm saying is it's interesting, isn't it, that we, we talk about yeah. how players do in the NRL and we speak about the NRL in such lofty terms. Mm. All, all the time, I feel like it's a bit of a failing uh, yeah. on... The but that's not changed, is it? That's not changed today. It is. That is the answer. But I, I is that like lessening, though? Because, obviously, you know, people like Rob Elston, who you mentioned, are not in position anymore. They, they want that to be less of a power, less of a pull. It's, it's not, that's not going to happen anytime soon, is no, it? No, no, I think it's only going to get, it's going to get worse. I think yeah. with, mm. with players going over there, you know, I, I read um, an article on that there was a discussion last, a couple of weeks ago about reducing the salary cap in this country. Mm. Yet the salary cap in Australia is going up again next year mm. and it's already four or five times higher than what it is here. So you're always going to have that, that pull of that. But, but for me as well, you know, like what, what brought the best out of me while I was playing Australia was, and this is no disrespect to, to, to players over here, um, but other than when I was at Leeds, other than playing Saints and Wigan at that time, mm. we, if we played well, we won. We, we, we won the game, you know what I mean? The, the biggest games were Saints and, Saints and, and Wigan. Mm. Um, whereas in Australia, 
I felt pressure every single week, every single week to perform. I was sick of, sick of hearing Tim Sheen say, this is a must-win game, this is a must-win game. Because it was every week, it was a must-win game. Mm. And the players you were playing against were like Origin players. Like, I couldn't play Origin, so that was my chance to, to get one over an Origin player mm. or an Australian player. And that was every week. So that, they were the challenges for me. And it was the, the pressure of, of playing at that level every week brought the best out of me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, that, and that's why I, I, you know, I think I probably... I, I, I wasn't the best player. I don't think I was the best player at West Tigers for those three years. But what I was was probably the hardest working and the, and the player that I think every player should want to be is the player that other players want to play alongside. Mm. And that's probably what I was, you know, yeah. in terms of turning up for training all the time, working my bollocks off and, and, and working really hard in, in games. So, so the obvious question, when it's all going so well, and yet, like I said earlier, you, you were player of the season, three seasons on the trot for West Tigers. 2012, you announced you were coming back to Super League and you'd signed for, for Hull FC. So, so was it was homesickness 80% of that decision or what? Yeah, well, things had changed, obviously. I went over uh, with Rachel, my girlfriend at the time. Within those first three years, we got married. We'd had a little boy who was born over there. And sort of just the, probably family life just changed a little bit. We'd gone from, like, say, from playing cricket in Benji's garage to... You know, playing golf. You know, every time we got a chance to some some sort of you know family yeah. family stuff. Um, and how much pressure then comes from the misses in that yeah, in that well, decision? Yeah. I mean, because for you on the pitch, everything was couldn't be better, could it? Yeah, well, we, we we were happy. You know, we we were, we were we were you know we were enjoying our time there. I just think you know, three years down the line, like say things had changed a little bit. I think for us both, we were sort of like thinking about home a little bit more than what what we'd, we'd done previously. Um, and I had a year left. At, I'd signed an, an extension at West Tigers and I had a year left, but um, I just went and said, look, I, I'd, I'd like to go home at the end of the year if, if possible. Uh, and to be fair, they were really good about it and said, yeah, we won't, we won't stand in your way. The sad thing was I broke my foot in round four um, and didn't play till probably the back end of the year again. So you would have won four player of the season <laughs> titles if you didn't break your foot? <laughs> I think you probably would have done. So, so why Hull at that stage? Yeah. I imagine there were a lot of people queuing up to sign you. You know, you were you're in your peak years wise. Um, yeah. 2012, that decision because we're on to the the whole years, which is what the Hellenians want to hear about, yeah. John. Yeah, I um, I was lucky, like I say, from from being 18 years old, only having one club interested in me. You know, at, 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 which was Wakefield. You know, I took that opportunity to then. You know, obviously announcing that was coming back, and probably had a little bit of interest from you know every. I think every, every single Super, Super League club, League club you know, that were, were interested at, at some level. Um, obviously, I r- ruled a, f- a few out. You know, fairly. Go on, early, so how do you, how do, you do that? Talk us through the process. Witness, fuck off, <laughs> Wakefield, not going back there. Yeah, yeah, pr- pretty much. You know, I, I, you know, again, you know, I still had an appetite to win things and and and, and you know, um, play play for England at, at the time. So. I wanted to play at the best club that I could play at, and uh, probably narrowed it down probably to Wigan Saints and, and and Leeds were my initial reaction when I first decided to come home. Never I, go back, guys. Yeah, well, never that, go that, back. Exactly. That's all the advice that I sort of got was that will it be the same? You know, the, the second time around. You know, um, and what I'd sort of found over my career is that. It was, it was more the time, I'm, I'm, I like my comfort zone. I, I'm quite comfortable in my comfort zone. But what I found was that it's when I decided to step out of it, and when the big decisions really mattered, 
when I decided to step out of my comfort zone, let me do something a little bit uncomfortable, it brought the best out in me. And I recognised that probably early on. Um, so going back to Leeds, I sort of ruled that out, you know, probably after, you know, the, some of the, the bottom teams that I don't think it's the right move for me. And maybe, you know, hanging my me, me, me bag on the peg that I left, you know, four years ago, maybe it's not the right thing for me as a person. Um, and then next on the list was Hull KR, so why didn't you go there? <laughs> um, move on. And then, um, so, so, yeah, so I narrowed it down to sort of Saints at Wigan um, and, and Hull, really. Um, and then Saints sort of were, were, were the one that I'm thinking. But when I was, I wasn't prepared to travel. I didn't, I didn't have all my career. I've never really liked that, you know, thought of travelling over the M62. Um, so I was thinking about, you know, if I did move, I'd move over to, you know, St. Helens area, Manchester area. But then, you know, talking to my wife, the reason why we were moving home was to move home. Do you know what I mean? So as much as it's, um, you know, I'm, I'm moving, you know, from 24-hour flight to probably, you know, an hour and a half over the over the Pennines. It's still an hour and a half over the Pennines, you know what I mean? So I, I think we, the, the idea was we'd, we'd bought an house before we left in, in Leeds. Uh, we'd moved back there. So the, the, the options really then were, were, were Hull um, and I were really, it, I had a conversation with... Um, was, uh, was, was, my, was Peter Gentle the coach? Yeah, Peter Gentle yeah. was the coach. So the reason my hole probably stayed in the frame was I had a conversation over Skype with Adam Pearce and, and um, he, he sold a really good story to me, um, you know, where you know, he was putting a lot of money into the club at the time. Um, he was ambitious about where he wanted Hull to go. And, and I, to this day, I remember him talking about, you know, imagine being, you know, the first captain to win a Challenge Cup at Wembley. You know, I, mem I remember him saying that to me, you know, over, over Skype as we, were, as we were doing it. And I probably didn't, you know, cling on to that, but it was something I thought, yeah, that's, you know, that there's, there's, there's something there to go and get my teeth into, you know, as a, as a player returning from Australia. Um, there's, yeah, like I say, there's something there to really get stuck into and make a difference. You know, if, if, even if I didn't win anything, if I could leave the club in a, in a better position, uh, whether that's bring some of the youngsters through, um, job would have been done. Um, and that was probably the thing at the end. So moving home, getting a chance to move home, um, and that sort of that story and that narrative of, you know, of, of, of doing something and making a difference was probably the reason why I probably chose Hull in the end. That, uh, that's interesting. He sold you that dream in 2012, obviously, Debut 2013, yeah. and then you, you did it back to back 16, 17. Well, I mean, what's they talk about manifesting? Yeah, yeah, I, I know, but it, what that, again, that wasn't without its you know typical rugby league rollercoaster ride. So 2012, uh, 2013, uh, done all the pre-season, done all the uh, friendlies, um, playing against Leeds in round one, um, in the warm up running, doing some warm-up drills, just felt a pop in the bottom of my foot mm. um, and fractured my foot, my foot had refractured. Um, mm. And at that point, I, I don't know, I was, it's probably the most disappointed, upset I've ever been, you know, in, in, in my life, really, in terms of where I was at, you know, the expectation that was, that was on was that, me. Was that the first time that maybe expectation had exceeded yeah. where you could deliver? Yeah, 100%, because I felt that, you know, I... I, I all my career, I've been that player that I spoke about, that player that wanted to be the player that other players wanted to play alongside. With all the sort of um, me, attention generally around me signing for Hull, it was like I was, I was Benji Marshall. Do you know what I mean? I, I got that impression that people thought I was going to like, do things... We're that, doing goose steps and training. Yeah, exactly, that do things that I, I wasn't capable of doing. 
I can work hard and I can graft and I'll, I'll, I'll do everything I can put the team first. But I was never going to be that and I felt that. So breaking my foot and all that expectation just all came tumbling down on me. And um, yeah, it was, it was just so disappointing. And then I came back in 2013 and didn't play particularly well. I was trying, you know, when you're trying your backside off, but just the, the, prod, the, you know, the, the product's not that great. And I remember thinking at the end of that, thinking like, oh, this has is, this is not turned out the way I thought it would. Maybe Saints or Leeds would have been a better option. Um, so, yeah, so I had a real long layoff. 2014, I had a, we didn't have a great year in terms of team, but I, I was back playing. I was play, players player of the year at, um, at Hull in 2014. So I was back playing something like 2015, snap me Achilles. Um, and at that point, I was ready to retire. That, that, that was a, my initial. Yeah. And then the first couple of weeks, I was like, I, I think someone's telling me something here that this is, this is enough for me. Um, so go on, that, again, the obvious question, but why, at that point, you kept on going again yeah. and again and again. Well, we're, we're, we're close people to you, was your missus, was, was your family saying, look, come on, guys, maybe enough is enough. dad, who's one of those dads that was always, as a kid, was, you'll be right, get up, get up, you'll be right, get up, you'll be right. No matter how hurt you are, get up, you'll be all right, carry on, you know. And even he was a bit like, you know, like I could tell in, in his, how he was speaking mm. to me was a bit like, you know, consider, maybe consider, you know, retiring. But I had, if me, I think if my, if my contract would have been up at the end of that year, I think I'd have definitely mm. retired. But I had a year left on my deal and I thought, I've got a year, this was after a few weeks, I thought, I've got a year left, I'll get the surgery done, see how it goes, and I'll just, I'll just rip in. I'll just rip into me, into me um, rehab. Um, so, you know, anyone, you know, you've both done it, you know, it's a lonely place at times, rehab, yeah. you know, when you're just in that, you know, gym and you've got your own programme and mm. all the lads are going out onto the field and it, yeah. it, 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 it's tough at times. But I just got my, my mindset in that, that I was almost like a, a, an individual athlete. I, it was just about me getting myself back on the field. So I just, I just ripped into it. So, so at no point you, yourself wasn't telling you no? There was no, you know, wasn't that you inner do, voice I saying I no? I don't think you want to be defeated by something. No. Sometimes there's like... You know, there's right times to do things and, and everything should line up and say to do it. But sometimes you've got to be ballsy enough to stand up and just say, nah, like really yeah. not quite now, you know. Yeah. And, and there were so many setbacks, No, I remember I had a yeah. chat with Phil Lowe. Phil Lowe came to me and, and had a chat with me in a bar. And he, 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 Phil said to me, oh, you know, you need to think about when you retire. And I, th I thought real deep about it, about when I wanted to retire. And I thought that's dictated by other people's expectation of when I should retire. It had nothing to do with me. Yeah. It annoyed me. Yeah. Phil Lowe annoyed <laughs> me saying it because it had nothing to do with him. Yeah. It was all, no, it was, it was all to do with me. Yeah. And I was like, I'll finish when I'm ready and yeah. I'm, I'll face the consequences if it's wrong or it's right. And I, I was... Something with me. You play rugby from a young age for you. Mm. So yeah. as you, if you, it doesn't matter if you're successful or you're shit or whatever. You play amateurs, that's fine. But you play rugby for you, so you shouldn't play rugby for anybody else, whether yeah. you come to an end of your career. If someone wants to pay you for it and support you, that's great. But you pay, mm. play rugby for you, and that's, that's really <laughs> but important. But I only ask that because I'm, we've had this conversation so many times where you've both said to me, you, you knew when enough was enough, you know, after yeah. a certain amount of injuries. So... You, you knew then enough wasn't enough because you went on to, yeah, to captain I, I, to hold to two challenge cups. My mindset after that initial reaction of you know of thinking about you know calling it a day was right. I'm not only going to get my Achilles right. I'm going to get everything right. I'm going to work, work work really hard. My foot mm. not, never going to be an issue again. Uh, I went to see podiatrists. I went and did DNA DNA tests to, to work out my diet and every, I just did everything I could to make sure that I I was going to be in, in, in peak 
give myself the best opportunity. It might have been that when I came back, I, re, I re ruptured it, but I, I wasn't going to, I was going to make sure. So this was one last shot. One this last was shot, the last chance. One last shot. Um, and then 2016, uh, the pre-season, so I came back and started in the pre-season. I came back, my first game against Catalan Dragons um, um, in 2016, round two, I think it was. I missed the first game in Salford. I came back round two against Catalan Dragons. I never looked back. I never mm. looked back from that moment on. And, you know, like, I, I, probably my best year, probably post-West Tigers, was 2016. So after that long way off, um, you know, I was nominated for Man of Steel. Danny Atten won Man of Steel. I was, I was runner-up. We won the Challenge Cup at Wembley. And, and, and sometimes I think, what if I had jacked it in? What if I had mm. jacked it in then? You know what I mean? It didn't, no, no, those things wouldn't have happened. It was a sliding doors moment, yeah, really, exactly, wasn't it? exactly. So, um, and then obviously got to do it again in 2017. And, and I've honestly got to say, like, I, I grew up with the Challenge Cup and I grew up going to watch it. I remember going in, you know, some old KR fans might, might have been there themselves. 86 against, I went to watch Castleford. And all, and all KR at Wembley. Um, that's my first memory of it. And, and it, there's some, I don't know if it's dying a little bit in terms of what the, what the younger generation think of it, you know, with the introduction of Super League. But for mm. me, the Challenge Cup is so special. It's just got so much history and tradition attached to it that I remember when I... When I, when I when I when it sort of started to sink in that, that I'd won it and it was me. I was, I was the one that got the honour and the privilege of going up there and, and, and lifting the cup for, you know, to represent my team. Um, I remember sort of trying to take visual sort of photographs in my mind mm. of walking up the steps at Wembley and, you know, and walking across the balcony. It's like and a giant Polaroid camera. Yeah, camera. Yeah, <laughs> <just> going, snap. <laughs> and someone sort of like threw a scarf at me and it's all the stuff I can remember of, you know, of Cass doing it on that day. And it was like, you know, when I, when I eventually got to lift the, the trophy, I, I, I can honestly say it was the happiest I've ever felt. And when I retired, I used to, it, that, that moment, I used to start to think, how could I ever feel? You know, like in retirement, how do you feel that happy? How do you ever feel that happy again? Just looking but, in your fridge and going, it's full, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, um, but, 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 but what I've learned to do is learn to appreciate the fact that I got to do that. Yeah. I got to do that. And some people don't ever get a chance to feel that happy. In all, that visualisation I find really interesting with sports people is, you know, did, did that even start when Adam Pearson sold you that dream on the phone? Or, did, you know, or which round did he start to think, actually, this is achievable? Oh, I think, you know, I think when we, we did it in 2016. I think we beat, I think we beat Wakefield, Catalan, Saints, maybe not in that order. So we'd done it the, 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 the hard way. Um, and I'd lost two previous to that. I lost mm. in 2005 to Hull. Uh, I'd lost in 2013 to Wigan. So when I came back from my foot in 2013. Uh, so that, that one in 2016 was very special on so many levels. And like I say, getting the chance to do all the things that, that, that um, the Challenge Cup winning team does, the open top bus, um, you know the, the parade, you know all, all that stuff. Just just so special, and they're the, they're the sort of memories, and they're the reasons I look back. And when I was sat in that hospital bed after having my Achilles operation, that I think that's that's what all all that hard work was was worth it. And then to do it again, yeah, to do it again, yeah, in 2017, <laughs> you know, and that again was was really a, a special one because I think you you do it with a group of players, and I think you know my my best the best image I've got of of that. Um, of both of those um, Challenge Cup wins is because obviously I'm up there and I'm lifting the trophy and I get that honour to do it. I don't get to see what everyone else is doing. The, the best image I've got is of the balcony shot, sort of 
you know, from, from pitch side of the whole team mm. celebrating as I'm lifting that trophy. That's the one that I, that I uh, mm. you know, cherish the most because I'm seeing their emotion and their feelings and I'm winning that as well. What was your relationship with Lee Radford? Why, why was it so special? Because I imagine in rugby league that, that that's not commonplace that you click with a coach like you did with him. I think because of you know, similar age, you know, we, we, we sort of come, he was a little bit older than me, a couple of years older than me. Um, and I'll be honest, like Radford is a different coach and relationship with the players than I've ever had and I'd ever experienced you know it was just different um in what he, way he played with a lot of the players you know that were there um he was very jovial he, he you know he knew when to have a laugh um but also he knew when to get serious and he'd probably dra- rather fight you than argue with you so <laughs> all the players knew that and they, and they didn't fancy fighting, <laughs> they didn't fancy fighting him so um yeah they sort of towed the line but yeah, it was just different, and like, like, we, we got hammered by, by witness early on in 2016, and um, we had, a, we had a, a meeting, we all had, we had, we had a players, we sort of asked the coaching staff to leave and said, look, this is on us, and from that moment, we sort of went on a bit of a, a winning run from, from then, it's, it's funny how sort of, as I spoke about with myself, you know, in terms of, you know, injuries, you know, bringing out the best in you, sometimes losses and, and, and bring out, you know, give you a bit of a reality check and bring out the best in you as well. And, you'll, and learning from those, those experiences. Uh, and we just kicked on and like I say, Radha stayed the ship really well. Andy Last was you know, really good assistant and he was sort of the connection between, between the lads when, you know, when, when, when Radha's lost his head and stuff. So it, it was just a good bond and a good mix. We had some really good sort of younger players. We had some really good overseas players. Sika Manu, Frank Pritchard, Mark Minicello. You know, some really good influential people on the team. And, and I think when, you can, when all that comes together, it's the recipe for su- su- success. Why, why do you think that Challenge Cup success, particularly around that time, 16, 17, and the, the couple of years afterwards, and I know then we'll get on to you coming back after yeah. retirement, why did that not transcend into to Super League form? And, you know, when you look at the Super League era, Hull had been to one grand final and they lost against you, didn't they, in 06? Yeah, six. Yeah, yeah um, to be honest, um, I think, you know, I think people, you know, will go on about, you know, you celebrated too much, you know, after winning the Challenge Cup, but imagine if you hadn't have celebrated winning the Challenge Cup and then you still didn't win the Grand Final, do you know what I mean? You'd, you'd regret not living in the moments, you know, they're, they're some of the fondest memories I've got is, you know, celebrating the Challenge Cup. But I really don't think that's the, that was the, was the issue at all. I think, you know, we, we were, you know, we, we lost to... Um, two semi-finals in, in 16 and 17. Uh, we were one game off the grand final um, and things, things happened differently in that game. I think Leeds, I think Liam Sutcliffe scored right in the, in, at the Hooter and um, you know, we, we just lost um, in, in 2017. So the game's about small, fine margins and, and moments in games. You, know, you work hard to, to create moments and it's those teams that execute those moments that, are, that that come out on top, and we didn't quite do that in those in those two finals. But we certainly had the team a bit like the t- the West Tigers team of um, of uh, 11, 10 and eleven. 11 yeah. uh, we, we we just fell short, you know, with some with some moments, yeah. some really key moments. It's probably the same again in in, in uh, with. Hole in 16 and 17. I think you'll all be good on this conversation. So, you know, obviously John touched on it at the beginning of the show. 2017, you retire. 2019, you come back. At the time, we were told, oh, there was an injury crisis and so on. Yeah. Don't give me injury crisis. I know there was an injury crisis, but in your head, what are you thinking there and how much was, was missing from yeah. your life having hung up those boots and how much did you struggle when you, as you say, John, 
opening the fridge and looking in there and thinking what we're going to do today? Yeah, it's, um, it's funny because I, I always felt myself as quite a level-headed person and I thought, you know, when retirement comes along, I'll take it in my stride and I'll move on. Didn't happen at all. You know, I, I really struggled with retirement, in, in all honesty. Um, how, how bad in terms you, isn't of... Isn't it weird we call it retirement? I, get yeah. it, I find it weird. Yeah. Like, you're not retiring. Nobody <laughs> retires from rugby league at 35. You just go do something else. Yeah, but what we do is yeah. we sit, we make it such a monster. We go, oh, how's retirement? People want you to be bad. People mm. ask, oh, how are you dealing with yeah, retirement? Yeah. I'm not retired. I've got a business. I've got a job. I do not everyone has that job. No, but, but people should have those things then, Will. Mm. They're stupid if they haven't got those what, things. What did you have? Yeah, so I, I, I was lucky, I fell into it, going. Well, I fell into it, not fell into it, I got a job at, at Hull, and I was just speaking to John before about it, and um, I did it for 12 months, and... I that was player manager, weren't it? Player manager, and, and, I, and I just struggled with it, because I think because you'd been so, you've had so much purpose in your life as a, as a player, um, you'd, you'd contributed so much to the success of, of a team or, or not, um, that I found myself not having a clue what I was doing in that role. Yeah, and, in, and in what sense, what did you miss the most? Because I know you've said before, pathetic. When, when I ask people what do they miss the most, and they say, oh, just the crack with the lads, you say, pathetic. No, but I just, but what, what was it then well, that, no, was, I, that was missing? Well, I spoke to guys at the bar about what he missed the most, and what I took from what he said was he said he wanted to be exceptionally good at the new job that he'd started, mm. but he'd only been doing it for a few months. Couldn't get his head round why he couldn't be great. What Gaz and what everyone misses is when you go from a position where you're the most competent man in the room to being the least competent man in the room, it's the feeling you get from being exceptional at a job. Yeah. So it's like any walk of life, you're, you're amazing at a job, you start your own business and you go, oh my God, I know nothing about this business. And the feeling of fear that you get is like incredible. But yeah. that's human, it's just, it's human nature. But you wanted to be exceptional yeah, at your I, role. I wanted it there and then, and I, <laughs> and I couldn't get my head around the fact that I wasn't. And I was after asking, asking questions all the time. And now looking back, I was stupid. I, should have, I, I needed to give it time. Of course you do. That's what anyone does in a new yeah. job who's not done it. You, you've got to give it time to learn and, and develop and learn those skills. Um, and, I, and I just didn't. And so bit of an injury crisis. I think Scott Taylor got, um, got suspended. Um, and um, and you had your hand up at training going, yeah, pick me, yeah, pick me. Much. And um, Rad, Rad said, oh, do you fancy coming out, would you come out of retirement for, for a few games until Scott Taylor comes, comes out? And I, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. How, long and did I, it, how long did it take oh, to say I, yes? I, oh, yeah. I, I, I wanted to make sure it was the... I, I didn't say yes straight away. I was right. a bit like... Yeah, Four minutes. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll, just go, I'll just go away. Yeah, yeah, I'm good for it. <laughs> um, but I thought, oh, yeah, three games, it'd be good. And I thought it would might have been a, a chance to go... I don't want to. Yeah, I've made the right decision. I don't want to play anymore. <laughs> it went, the other, it it went the other way. Honestly, I, play, I played against Wigan, um, and I remember tackling. This sounds a bit stupid, but I, I remember tackling someone, and I went with everything I'd got, and I, I did. I, I whacked him, and put my shoulder. You know, I got a sting at my shoulder was hanging off. I could hardly move my, my arm. But you know, inside, I was thinking, I love, I love this. Yeah, <laughs> this is where I belong. This is what I'm supposed so we're getting to there. It was that you missed, you missed the physical yeah, side. Of it. You missed that yeah, contact. You missed that impact. Yeah, and I pain. missed. Uh, yeah, it's pain. Yeah, mm. conditioned. Yeah. You're conditioned. You know, the, the voice. You, I think the voice. You know, the voices in your in your head that's saying you can't do it or stop. You can stop now or mm. take it easy here or you don't have to cover that space. Somebody else will get it. But what is that as devil's advocate? Is that insecurities? Is that what, what is that inner voice telling you that? I think if, if anyone who does something that hurts 
We'll have those voices, I, would, I imagine. I don't know. I imagine they'd have those voices. If, you're go, if I go, when I go for a run now, I, I was training the other day, and Ben Max said, what are you doing that for? Why are you, why are you flogging yourself like that? Mm. I said, just keep me sane. Because yeah. I, can have those, I can have those conversations where the little devil on my shoulder is going, stop, guys, you don't need to do this. Mm. But on the other side, I'm going, yeah, I am. I'm doing it. I'm doing it. I'm going to get through it. And I'm going to push myself <laughs> and get the best out of me. <laughs> best yeah. out of me. And that's what that was. That's what playing was for me, was that yeah. opportunity to do that again. With out any pressure. I didn't yeah. have any pressure. I just went out and played. I wasn't captain anymore. Because I, I, people say, oh, you know, what, what's, what's, why did you retire? I retired because, I don't know what it was like for you, John, but I, I, I remember like when, before games and the build-up to games, my job was really clear in my head. And yeah. even to the point where I'd, I'd visualise stuff and I'd maybe miss a tackle, but then I'd quickly like change and I'd know no to do this. And that, that was the sort of moments I had on game day that allowed me to sort of prepare for a game. Yeah. There was a point when that all came really fuzzy and I couldn't focus on what my job was and what I was there to do and what my role was within the team. And that's when I started questioning. So it wasn't really physically, it was mentally. I just wasn't capable of preparing myself for the game anymore. Yeah, and no, the clarity of when you're playing is like crucial, isn't it? Yeah. Or focus of purpose is like everything. Mm. So once that goes... Yeah. And I think it went for me when... I, you know, I always took on more than I should when I played, probably, you know, took on too much yeah. responsibility. Um, I found the other way is when I got less responsibility, that's when I got fuzzy mentally, yeah. is just, this well, that, is your job, 15, 20 minutes, at, well, and then that, come off, well, that, come back it. on, I was like, whoa. I'm the same, that, that, that was what I, I prided myself on that. I was captain, so I, I, in my head, I could never have a day off. I could never have a, you know, those, I, I, Lads do it, they come in and they just get through the day. They'll get through the day, you know, where they're not feeling great, whatever. I knew in my head I could never, ever have one of those. I was captain of the, I was captain of the club. I couldn't have a day where I... I'll tell you who was my go-to man, Danny Outham. I'd used to go to Danny Outham and I'd pull him to one side. I'd have a chat, I'd have a moan, I'd have a, you know, have a little gripe about stuff, knowing that it wouldn't affect him because he was, he was the vice-captain at the time. Then I'd go away, I'd go back to training and just forget about what I'd said to him and, just, and rip in. He was sort of my, my outlet. But I knew that I couldn't show any weakness. Yeah. And, and that was what I prided myself on. And that's what got the best out of me, you know, week in, week out, knowing that I had to do that. But it's that moment when it all got a little bit fuzzy that I just started to... I wasn't playing any less, but I just wasn't, didn't have that, that same passion and bite about driving it. Yeah, driving so, about so what's it, it going to take again? So Brett Hodgson says to you, look, Scott Taylor's got a bit of a sniffle, mate, this weekend. Uh, it's been a couple of years, I know. And then it's a couple of people going, you can't fucking do it again, guys. You're going to come out for a hat-trick? Come out. Not a chance. <laughs> Not a chance now. I, I, honestly, that, that... You've, you've, you've laid so that to the bed. 18 months, the, the 18 months... Are sort so of about... the three games turn into 18 months. <laughs> <laughs> Love that. Months. So I did, I did the rest of that year and I did the following year. But it was brilliant. Like I said, I wasn't captain. And I even went to Radisson last year and I said, look, I don't want to be that guy for you anymore. I don't want to be that guy, you know, that, that, you, that you're relying on to, to influence. And they said, that's what you're here for. That's exactly what you're here for. And I, and I sort of had to think about it for a while. And sort of, I think that was the acceptance that maybe I, I aren't as good, I can't do the things that I used to be able to do, but I can still influence in a way and that, that, that I used to and be And during able to that do. period at Hull, the reason why they were successful was because I think they had a player like you that the other lads looked up to, that led by example. I think when you came back, you, you kind of probably, without knowing it, set the standards and gave the other lads something to achieve. And I think you probably your presence 
far exceeded your talent on the field at that time. Yeah, I, I probably agree with you, Mark. I think that that's you know the biggest compliment that anyone's ever given me is that that because because I, I looked up to players, you know, like like JP Jamie Peacock. He was someone I I. When I played alongside him, I, I, I felt a level of expectancy of playing well for, J, for, for JP. Like he's, he had that about him that you felt you needed to play well for him. So the biggest compliment anyone's ever given me is, is saying that about me, you know, that, that I made them play better just by being me. And I think that's, like I said, I think that's probably the pinnacle of being that player that other players want to play alongside is that you're also bringing the best out of them as well. So look, you said you had your sort of... I guess insecurities, you questioned yourself a bit with the coaching role and you're far more developed and far more down the line now as assistant coach at Hull. Um, when's the point where you go, Brett, I've got this, mate? Because knowing you, the kind of guy, and just listening to you over the last hour, you want to be a head coach, don't you? Um, I, don't, I don't know. I really don't know. I'm not sure. I really enjoy being... This, I, again, I, I nearly fell down the same trap last year of wanting to be the best assistant coach and not knowing how to use a computer and do all the analysis stuff. and But... Again, learning from mistakes in the past, thought I'll give it some time. I'm, I'm actually really, really enjoying it. I think I spent probably a lot of last year trying to do it how I felt other people wanted me to do it. So the coaching stuff. Um, uh, but sort of this year, I've sort of learned how to do it my way. Um, you know, and, and, and I don't profess to be the most tacti you know, tactical um, coach or you know picking teams apart. But what I do have is. No, or what I do know, particularly with defence, is that I, I know what level of attitude it takes to defend as a team. And, it's, and it's, for me, defending is the ultimate sort of team um, team element of, um, of rugby league. Um, we all rely on each other to, to defend well, for, for everyone else to defend well. Um, and it has to be done with a level of, you know, of wanting to hurt the opposition. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the level of, uh, of commitment that you should have in, in, in every tackle you make. You should want to dominate your, op your opposite number. You should want to dominate your opposition. Every opportunity you get to, so, you know, so kick into the corner, fly off the line, get off the line and, and, and bash teams up. That's the toughest, they're the toughest carries in the game for a reason. It's because they're the hardest place to, it's the hardest place to come out of. Um, so just promoting that kind of mentality to the, to the team is what I feel is, is what a good assistant coach can, can do for a team. And if we can do that, I think we'll, you know, we'll be, um, we'll be a, a good team and win games. But at the minute, I'm happy doing what I'm doing. Um, I don't see myself as an head coach. There's some really big decisions. That it comes with more make. pressure, doesn't it, head it coach? I mean, you guys will all know, surely being the, the lieutenant well, you know, is, is got, an easier gig, isn't it? You know, in terms yeah. of when that, being that main voice... Yeah, and how, it, and how it, that's it considered by the players. Of, you know, this is the time of year. You know, the, the deadline's passed where you're having them conversations with players. The good ones where you're telling them we want to keep you for another three years, but also the real shitty ones where you're telling clerks that you, you you're no longer required. So I don't know if I've got that that in me. I I I, I had an ability to sort of switch on from I don't the, the person the, the Gareth Ellis on the field is a total different person to what I am off the field and I don't know if I needed I need more crossover if it, to be an head coach I think you need a bit of ruthlessness I don't know if I've got that in, uh, in an off-field environment and you're the, uh, the analyst would he make a good head coach uh, I don't if he know. wasn't sat I, I have no idea is the honest answer <laughs> I mean all, look you'd look at all the, the benchmarks that you would think it, it, his level of attitude determination his competency world-class at what he did but evidence suggests to me that the only thing that makes you a good coach is longevity at, at learning your craft. 
You know, there's very few coaches in the history of coaching. If you look at Pep Guardiola, you look at Jose Mourinho, spent 15 great players and then spent 15 years learning the craft or 10 years or whatever it is. And I think we're in such a rush to thrust young coaches into head coach positions. And it's sort of sadistic because we're kind of like obsessed with watching them fail. Well, it's a bit like the retirement thing, John, isn't it? Like we're almost like, you know, this, it's retirement from the end. Well, just because you don't have to, you can be an assistant coach and be an assistant coach. If you, you yeah. know what I mean? You don't have to be an assistant no, you coach be assistant with coach. ambitions of being a head coach. You, you could be you know, assistant like, coach for 25 years. Yeah. And we'll just be the best assistant <laughs> coach that has <laughs> ever been. And the thing is, a player is a very different job to being a coach. Look at Matt, Matt Pete at Wigan, who's had great success in a short period of time. He was never a player. But yeah. they're very different jobs. Yeah. Playing rugby is playing rugby. Coaching people is coaching people. And well, I yeah. think there's a really interesting thing in sport, isn't there, that good players don't make great coaches because good players have a pressure and expectation to become great coaches quicker than coaches. Yeah. yeah. That's it. Yeah. So we judge him right. He's, you know, Gaz Ellis yeah, yeah. is going to be, you know, great brain head coach in three years. Are you crazy? People are crazy. Guys, thank you so much, mate, for coming no, down. It's been, been great to listen to you. And, and I know just, you've, you've kept a room full of whole KL fans <laughs> hanging off your every word, That's so there you I, go. I was just thinking when I, when I came in, I said to the, the boys at the back, the media guys at the back, I said, there's a lot of red and white in here. I said, it's a good job I've never kissed a badge or, or spat piss at any of them, so... <laughs> <laughs> Tried to disguise yourself in the cap, but you've given yourself away. Um, look, everyone in here as well, get your phones out. Give us a little, um, give us a little follow on at, out of your RL. We need you actually to just review and, and give us a five stars. We're 4.8, which is embarrassing. 4.8 is pathetic. We need to be five stars. Even right. if you just leave a little review and say John Wilkins a wanker, it means everything to us. Um, put your hands together, everyone, for the legend that is Mr Gareth Ellis. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.